1: Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comment. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing. The golf world has been upended by Saudi Arabia, and it is now mired in controversy in an existential debate about its future. Oh, that's a sentence I never thought I'd be saying. Yet it's true. In June, the Live Golf Invitational Series, that's LIV, began competing with the PGA, and it's backed by the Saudi Sovereign Wealth Fund. There's drama, There's accusations, there are strong opinions on both sides, protests even, leaving everyone asking, what's the future of the professional golf world? Our guest today, Rick Riley, is one of the top sports writers in America. He's been a columnist for Sports Illustrated, ESPN, he's written many books. He's a member of the National Sports Writers and Sportscasters Hall of Fame. He's been voted National Sports Writer of the Year 11 times over a career that began in 1979 and I think Rick is really the best person to break down what's really going down and offer his take on what's going to happen next. And his new book out now is So Help Me Golf: Why We Love the Game. Rick Riley, great to chat with you again. Welcome to the program, sir.
2: But Anthony, you know, in their defense, not a single journalist has been cut in half <laughs> oh, dear. so far. You know, so that's that's something they're doing better. I, I just don't get the whole thing. I don't see why people would go see it. It's 3 days. It's a shotgun start. Yeah, they have some stars, but half more than half the people you've never heard of. I mean, what's that? What's the difference between that and the Toronto National Member Guests, you know? I don't I don't see why <laughs> I mean, a shotgun start, 3 days, nobody gets cut? What else they selling mulligans at the, you know, out front? I mean, do you is there, a, is there a drink cart driven by <laughs> Donald Trump Jr.? I mean, I, I just think it's all so <laughs> schlocky and, and inorganic. It's not a – I don't mind competition. I mean, you know, the, the, the AF, AFL made the NFL way, way better. The ABA made the NBA way better. But this, this, this is a joke. It's not real competition. I mean, you can make $120,000 in every tournament finishing last – that's, that's twice, three times as much as what most people make for what? Shooting a, a radio station, a Zoo 103 or a Circus 107? I mean, there's just no incentive to play well. I mean, besides, of course, the millions that are out there. But my God, you already signed for 200 million. How, much, how many yachts can you ski behind?
1: It's just remarkable the money that's flown around. One question I have, I don't know the answer to it. So Greg Norman, legend, of course, he's kind of behind this and and he's the front man for the Saudis. Do you know, did he come up with the idea and pitch them or did they come up with the idea and pitch him?
2: This is an idea that's been floating around for about 30 years. Norman tried this about 20 years ago and it failed. Greg has always had kind of a chip on his shoulders about the PGA Tour And I've never understood it. I knew him pretty well in the 90s, but I don't know if it's because so many people chipped in in on him to take majors from him from, you know, behind a dumpster or what. But he's just always had a chip against the PGA Tour. So he found some blood money in this bloody monarchy that runs the Saudis. And you can say, yeah, they're they're starting to be modern, but they still kill, kill journalists. They jail gay people. They disappear dissenters. 15 of the 19 uh, 9-11 uh, terrorists came from Saudi Arabia. Some people think they were funded and trained by the Saudis. How do you get in bed with the Saudis, even if they buy you a new jet? Is that, I mean, those bloodstained checks, don't they stain your new white leather chairs and in, in your jet?
1: And yet there's so many people, I'm not crazy about the idea. And I made m- one humble little tweet about it. I'm not, I'm not a sports broadcaster. I'm usually on news and politics. I made one humble little tweet. And it was like the most controversial thing I've ever said. You know, there's some people are like, how dare you criticize it? Other people are definitely seeing it the way you're seeing it. I mean, the, the, the split is interesting.
2: Oh, Anthony, there's where you made your mistake. You looked at your comments. <laughs> I mean, do you, do you leave your front door open at night to let people walk in and hit you in the head with a baseball bat?
1: never I look at the never comments.
2: look at my comments all the half the people exist just to try to get a rise out of you
1: but i still find it curious you know and, and even like on the tour i mean you've got guys like obviously you know dustin johnson he's like well i'm there i'm cashing in and Tiger, I mean, I know Tiger doesn't need any more money, but he like what was the figure they offered him like 500k or something? And he was like, yeah, I don't know. And I don't know why did he not do it because he didn't want the money because he was lazier. Because t- to your point, he was like, no, I'm not going to side with the
2: 911 guys. 500k? They offered him 500m. Sorry, that's, that's what I 500 meant. <laughs> million dollars, and he turned it down. And I hope he turned it down for the reason which is this is dreadful. This is blood money. This is this is goes is everything against the tour that made him who who he was. I mean, that tour took a long time to to give it the legacy and the power that it has. And so you're Dustin Johnson, you're going to throw all that away. Now you can't play the PGA Tour, we assume, ever again. Uh, And now you can't play the European Tour, we assume, ever again. For what? Playing in Riyadh? playing it you know the at Trump Doral you know with with Trump going up and down the range like he does oh greggy looking good cuz i've been with him when he does that he used to have a tournament at Doral until it jumped the fence and went to mexico and he flies his jet over the course he lands his chopper on the practice range <laughs> he's, he's all, always looking for attention as you know and then he you know, he'll just drive up behind a guy as he's about to hit there's no it's going to be so So the next tournament is is the end of July at Trump-Bedminster, which, as you know, lost the PGA because of Trump's failed coup attempt. That's going to be madness with Trump in charge. And then on to the finishes at trump Doral. So you threw all that out. For what? For this? As you you then find out you can't get world golf point rankings, which means you're going to slide down uh, the rankings of the best golfers in the world which in a lot of cases mean you can't, I mean, the Ryder Cup often, a lot of these tournaments pick based on world golf rankings. And what are they going to do if they don't get ranking points? It's going to be, it's really wrecking the pro game.
1: Speaking about Donald Trump, your last book prior to this one, Commander in Cheat, How Golf Explains Trump. Remember we talked on SiriusXM when this book first came out a few years ago. How's the Donald doing now? With his golf, he's got, I think he's got more free time in his hand. He doesn't have the presidency and he doesn't have his previous full-time job on the Twitter.
2: So how's he working out with the golf? Well, Donald, Donald says he's a three handicap. I've played with him. He's a 10. If he's a three, then, you know, Queen Elizabeth can pole vault. There's no way. (laughs) But so how's he doing? According to him, fantastic. Shot a 73 the other day. Look, I'm... (laughs) You said the Secret
1: Service works. like gets the ball if it's in the rough and kind of kicks it over a little bit more closer to the fairway.
2: Look, he's got the worst uh, escape game because he's never in trouble. His, his caddies throw it out of every bunker. If it goes in the water, they throw it out, and he says, "Must have been the tide." That's what he said one time. Must have been the tide. Uh, he's so and so, but then he's got to cover this three handicap with a ten game. He can't do that. So the caddies team, I swear to God, Anthony, his former caddy master, a guy named Tim Peel, told me on the record, yeah, we had to buy him giant bags of four-inch green teas so his caddies could tee him up in the rough. And his opponents, no. Know. Yes, yes. Oh, my God. it's uh, So how's he doing? Well, he made a hole-in-one the other day, um, and Ernie Els was there to witness it. What he doesn't tell you is, how many mulligans he took before it went in, you know? <laughs> He's, he does a lot of stuff. Like he says, he wins club championships. I'm the best. I've won 18 club championships. I think it's 20 now. And that's against the best players in in the club. I'm like, no way, no way, Donald. And if I and he admitted how he did it with me. He said, no. Whenever I buy a new course, I play the club championship by myself on the first day, and now I'm the club champion. <laughs>
1: Hey, that's smart.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's diabolical, but it's smart.
1: (laughs) The live tournament. So, I mean,
2: I guess one of the
1: challenges, though, is these guys have so much money to sink into it that you're making valid criticisms about, you know, what's going on with the, you know, the number of rounds they're playing. But they can just run out the clock by pouring more and more money into it. And they might say, you know what, it's a good point. Okay, we're going to change this. We're going to change that. Like, they're playing for the long game. Surely that's the strategy here for these guys.
2: Are they? Are they? I don't know. I mean, they've they've started they've started backing sports before and pulled out. Uh, my question is: Okay, Phil Mickelson, uh, you know, you called them uh, ex- excuse the language, but bloody mfers. You you admitted in in the book that the uh, the guy wrote about you that they're 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 murder journalists. They're terrible with human rights. Ter- terrible with women's rights. Uh, although maybe. <laughs> where know America's no one to talk, but and then you join. And so now you so this year you'll play eight tournaments, which every attendance, every attendance at these tournaments is compulsory. Next year is 14. Now let's say Phil's got his daughter's piano recital, and he doesn't particularly want to 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 uh, fly to Lebanon for the for the Lebanon Masters or whatever the hell it is. And they and they're like, oh yeah, you're coming. He's like, oh, no, thanks. It's not like the PGA Tour. You have to go to every tournament. So if, if he doesn't go, does he start hearing bone saws outside his door? I mean, it's a, it's a very you've, – you've gotten in bed with some bad bedfellows here.
1: What do you make of the endorsement by someone as big as Dustin Johnson? Now, I know you wrote a book with Wayne Gretzky years ago. You know Gretzky. Gretzky's, of course, Dustin Johnson's father-in-law, and they're tight, apparently. You know, he's in the inner circle. He advises him a lot. So Gretzky-Green lit this,
2: I I assume. Well, I don't know. I mean, Dustin Johnson is not anybody's uh, idea of a Mensa club member. You know what I mean? He's so light. uh, He's so dense. The light bends around him and he he doesn't, he doesn't, I'm not sure he knows what he's doing. I'm not sure he knows where Saudi Arabia is. So he was already richer than any Kardashian. Uh, He married into the Gretzky family. Yes. The Gretzkys like him, but he didn't need this. How much, how much did he lose in endorsements? And he's like, well, I'm, I'm doing it for the, for the, for the good of my family. What does that mean? God, how good is your family need to be? Uh, And I love Dustin or even Phil Graham McDowell, they're like, no, the game of golf can, we're doing, we're doing it because the game of golf can can do so much good for countries like this. Really, really. You think golf is gonna is gonna turn around all these human rights bloody violations they have over there? Same way that when Kim Jong il shot 34 one day and made five holes in one, all the people of North Korea stopped starving. No, they didn't. Golf can't do crap for these people.
1: Well, here's the thing. I mean, in America, we've seen a lot of increasing intersection between political activism or, or political gestures and sports. A lot of people feel that can be a force for good. But then the frustration is then you go and you play in China and they they don't do the same. You get a guy like John Cena, movie comes out. He says something not perfect about, you, oh, I got to apologize. Got to bow to not the almighty dollar, but the almighty yen, I guess. And similar situation, I guess, happening in Saudi Arabia.
2: Well, you know, I- I think the, the good it's doing is for the is for the family, the royal family, because it's hey, look at us. We're fun. We like golf. We don't uh, we don't just sit around and, and jail people. Um, look how great. So that what they're doing is sports washing their image. So how many years of, of using up Phil and, and Dustin and Patrick Reed will it take before they're like, yeah, we're losing a billion a year on this. Let's stop now. Not that they really have a bottom line, but they might get bored or they might like, well, we can find a better use for this money. What they're getting out of it is a is a whitewashed sports washed image and people are buying it. Like in my country, they're like, oh, like you don't have Saudi gas in your tank. Well, no, I drive an electric car, but that's a geopolitical necessity. We need gas, especially now with the war on people like, well, yeah, but the NBA plays in China. They don't play their entire schedule run by the Chinese. They go there. I mean, some NBA players go there occasionally and play uh, NBA uh, clinics and games, but that's one or two games a year. They're not playing an entire schedule over there. If it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous to say, oh, it's just, it's just you know, you, you buy your shoes at a Nike Chinese factory. Well, they have 43 factories. I'm just saying this is something nobody needs. Nobody needs Saudi golf for us to continue to live our our lives in North America. And so I'm I'm really offended that these guys were so short-sighted to not only do it, but then say, oh, we're doing it for the
0: good of the people. Get out of here with that. Sell it somewhere else.
1: We'll be back with more with Rick Riley in just a moment.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: Rick, I know these guys on the tour, they're buddies. They can be quite close. Sometimes when they're traveling from from city to city, state to state, country to country, they rent a home where they, you know, two or three different players with the with the wife and the little kids, they all stay together. Uh, hearing stories about, you know, Scotty Scheffler being super serious about playing like Monopoly or Trivial Pursuit or whatever it is and the night before winning the Masters. They're all, you know, getting into that together. This is obviously something that, you know, this is a family, a lot of these guys. And yet this issue, well, you tell me, is it tearing the family apart because they're disagreeing?
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's a, there's a gang of young, great guys who uh, were all really tight. And now suddenly some of them just left the tour uh, and really hurt the tour uh, and to to play for the Saudis. And now they, they're not going to be together. So, so it's, but you know, Dustin Johnson, Ricky Fowler might go, Kisner might go, um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a point of contention and it's just icier. You can feel it in the, in the clubhouses, the locker rooms. It's just not as fun as it was, but let's talk about it from the point of view of the golf fan, you and me, we're not going to see these guys play each other that much anymore. Apparently uh, we'll see what the master says. They still haven't commented on it, but apparently the mat, the majors will allow these guys to play. But again, as you slide down the world golf rankings, will you even be invited? Uh, So you're not going to get all those great tournaments, Muirfield and um, Castle Pines, Pebble Beach, where they're all together going against each other. You've got this horrible half of them, a third of them are over there, two thirds of them are here. It's that same thing that happened to IndyCar and it ruined IndyCar and it could well ruin golf. We could have a split tour. And that's no good for anybody. And uh, and already there's a lot of, bunch of hypocrites. Guys that used to share houses together, as you pointed out, are suddenly, you know, roars at each other. Justin Thomas, you know, is unhappy. Um, like, is it for real way, or
1: is it just for show for the cameras? Like, they are kind no, of pissed.
2: No. It's real. It's real. And there might mm. be a little jealousy, too. I mean, when someone like Patrick Reed, who, we, who the players call table for one because nobody likes him. <laughs> he for $50 million or Charles Schwartzel is already up to $6 million plus what he signed for which was probably about 25. Uh, you know, you can kind of see why Ricky Fowler might jump since he can't break an egg lately. Uh, but on the other hand, what's it worth to your name? What's it worth to your legacy? You lose all your endorsements. Here's a, here's a typical example. Phil jumps, Right. So he was making at least $30 million in endorsements. Then about two weeks after he jumps, Nick Faldo, the lead uh, guy in the booth for CBS Golf, quits. Well, that was going to be Phil's job. Phil had been practicing for it. He had given him a couple tryouts. He did fantastic. And you, know, you know Phil. He did all the research. He was ready with really interesting stuff, really fun stuff. He's the best I'd ever heard in the booth. That would have paid about 15 million a year. That's gone. We'll never hear him in the booth on the PGA tour now. So, what's all this worth? I, I just wish they'd have thought harder about it. And the crazy thing is, it's
1: not like there's an elder statesman, it's not like there's a broader governing body that can come in and say, Boys, boys, let's let's settle this down. Let's talk it out. I mean, this is the disruptor here.
2: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's nobody right now. They're playing this JP McManus. Pro-Am thing, which has got the greatest field I've ever seen for a Pro-Am. And that guy, McManus, is this uh, Irish businessman that everybody loves. He could maybe get them all in a room, get the two commissioners. uh, Well, (laughs) the Saudis don't have a commissioner that would come. I mean, they would never get Greg Norman in a room. Maybe they would. But he could sit there in Ireland and get the major players together and maybe work it out. Because there is a way to work this out. There's a way for the PGA Tour to back off and say, look, and Norman to back off. And you could say, look, Greg, we, we don't want to ban these guys. You don't need them for all eight tournaments or next year 14. Let them, let them sign up for seven, okay? If they can, you know, if, if that's a fair deal, extend their contract so it makes sense to you guys. Do seven there. We'll rescind our rule about you have to play – 15 PGA Tour tournaments to remain a member, and we'll change the game of golf. But in this way, that we'll be able to again see the great players play each other uh, more often. And then, and I hope somebody agrees to do that. It would, take, it would take swallowing a lot of pride at this point, but there is a way out.
1: Well, I know you're skeptical about whether they're in this for the long game or not, the, the Saudis. I mean, what, 20 years from now, are we going to be saying, oh, yeah, we got these two, you know, great major leagues. There you go. Or are we going to be saying, oh, remember that live thing? Like we say, remember there's lingerie football for like a year? What was that all about? Like, wh- where is this going to be?
2: <laughs> Wait a minute. Did you just disparage lingerie football? No, no, I was longing oh, for its crazy. return. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know what you're saying. I could be dead wrong. This could be this could be the AFL and eventually it's it becomes this giant thing but my point is Saudis what what sort of golf legacy do they have I mean they have a few courses they've had a tournament where guys go over once a year and make a giant uh, check and then come back I mean I, I can't see why it's built I can't see it's built into their blood to really make this work to me it's just a toy that they could I mean that the, the fund they have, fund F-U-N-D, to, to whitewash, sports wash their image has $600 billion in it, I think. So they can do this for quite a while. The question is, will they get bored? And will they get sick of uh, uh, people like me saying, this is, this, is a, this is a joke and it's criminal and it should be stopped. Uh, but they might get sick of it. I don't know, you, we'll see. But if it's, if it's gonna really stick around, They've got to find a way to work with both the PGA Tour and the the European Tour.
1: Rick, your new book is So Help Me Golf, Why We Love the Game. And so many guys I know are in my situation where you do those 18 holes and you go, oh, why do I love this
2: game after looking at your (laughs) scorecard? Yet we do. You know why we love it? That's what the book is about. I've been saving stories, real stories, funny stories, emotional stories about why we love golf. It's the it's it's the stories. For instance, have you ever played, have you ever played La Hinch in Ireland? No. Well, La Hinch in Ireland is this tiny little dot on the map on the east coast, and it's like playing through your grandmother's attic. And there's a there's even a <laughs> blind par three. There's a blind par three. You can't see the green. You got to hit it over this big hill, and you aim for this white rock that moves around in line with the flag, but the greenskeeper can be drunk sometimes. So he forgets to move (laughs) it or whatever. So you hit the shot and then you come around the hill to see if there is a green and where your ball might be. Well, one day in 1997, four people made holes in one in an hour and a half on that hole is the greatest statistical anomaly in golf history. And the bar is going freaking crazy that night, right? Because these guys all have to buy each other drinks and the whole bar drinks, and the townspeople are in there, and the caddies have <laughs> stuck in there, and it's the greatest, and the bartender's having the greatest tip night of his life until his wife walks in clutching clutching the six-year-old son they have and marches the son behind the bar and, and says to this kid, you tell your dad what you were doing this fine day, you little rapscallion. And the kid goes, oh, I was putting balls in the hole. <laughs> And he'd he'd been hiding behind a tree, a ball would come over, he'd run out, stick it in the hole, run back behind the tree, and then all because he liked to see 50, 60-year-old white guys riding each other like Shetland ponies <laughs> and, and and ripping off their shirts like like brandy chastain after an Olympic goal and and going crazy swimming on the green and losing their mind. He just loved seeing it. And so back to the bar and the guy's the bartender's like his eyes are wide open looking at his kid and the and the wife says are oh, you not going to say anything to the lad and the bartender picks up his son Kisses him on the forehead and says, yes, good job. <laughs> and and that was it. Wow. So somewhere somewhere in the world are four people that think they have holes in one at La Hinge, but they don't.
1: And, you know, it's the magic of the game. The fact that, to your point, grown men, old men, grandfathers are going around and chasing this little white ball. And the the, the tears and the, the, the tears of joy, the tears of frustration.
2: <laughs> right. You know, like I can never bend it like Beck. I could never stand at the goal line and kick the ball on a, whatever he does, bends it into the goal from impossible angles. But once a year, I can hit a perfect six iron out of a bunker, over a tree, and onto the green. And anyone can. You never know when it's going to hit you. And at that moment, you are playing as good as Tiger Woods. And and there's something about those shots. And, And there's also a quick story, like, these people, like I played high school sports, right? So all those, all those stories end when I'm 18, but I have this buddy two down O'Connor who I've known for 50 years. I've played golf with him for 50 years. And I remember 25 years ago, he, he played bad or something. He goes, Riley, I'll bet you he's like a 16 handicap. I'll bet you before I'm over, before I'm dead, I'll, I will, uh, I will become a single digit handicap. And I'm like, I know two down. I'm like, no way, hundred bucks. He goes, you're on. But then I thought about it. I'm like, no, no bet two down because there's no way I can collect. You'll never give in till you're dead. And when you're dead, I can't get the hundred. He goes, no, no, I thought about that. And you know that blue blazer I like? I'm gonna put a hundred dollar bill in the pocket of that blazer. And I'm gonna tell my wife to bury me in the blazer. <laughs> and, and if I don't become a single digit, you, you can take it out of the blazer. And I'm like, two down, I'm not going up at your funeral and just snatching a hundred out of your pocket and dancing away from the coffin, going, Ah, sucks to be you, two down. You lose, right? He goes, No, 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 no. I've thought that out too. <laughs> he said, You fall over the coffin in grief, crying. And as you fall over my open coffin, you reach in there and take the hundred. <laughs> and I'm like, Okay. And I saw him the other day and he's a 27 handicap. So I like my chances.
1: You've got 80 new, funny, emotional stories about people who just love the game, all the antics out there on the course. And I'm sure people just for years have been coming up and, and sharing their stories with you. And it's so, you know, it's both such a communal sport and it's such a personal sport. I mean, everybody just has those stories that like intersect with the big moments in their lives.
2: Yeah. A guy came up to me the other day and he plays this, uh, his, his dad plays this club where the 10th hole is this giant Barranca Canyon and you have to hit it. Uh, it's a part three. You got to clear 180 yards to get over the Canyon and the hole about 210 and this guy's terrible. And so whenever he gets to that hole, he takes an old ball out of his bag and throws it down to the bottom of the canyon. He throws it and always whoever he's playing with goes, Jim, what what the hell are you doing? And he says, his dad always says, an appeasement to the gods. Wow. That way he's he's appeasing the golf gods in hopes that his actual shot will clear the canyon. And occasionally it works. So
1: help me golf. Why we love the game available now. Rick, this has just been such a fun conversation talking about the book, talking about the live tournament. Who knows what's going to happen there. Thank you, sir, so much for joining us.
2: today. And- I got to say, I hope it's short-lived. I really do.
1: (laughs) Take care, sir. Have a good one. All right, buddy. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.